Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. It is Friday morning, March the 3rd, 2023. And joining me this morning for a conversation, catch up, all these kinds of things is Keith Redman, who I believe anybody listening to this podcast would know. And we're going to talk about matters of common interest and general interest to the community of Americans abroad. So that said, Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay this morning. I've been doing a lot of thinking, John. And um, one major sore spot for me, and I think for a lot of us, is why are we not getting the overall support from the American overseas community around the world in fighting what's called CBT, citizenship-based taxation? And what I'm thinking is, is I think it's hard for people to really grasp the problem based on the acronym CBT and based on the term citizenship-based taxation, that it really needs to be redefined what the U.S. actually does vis-a-vis -vis its practice um, of its uh, tax code, if you will, particularly outside the United States. Because, and I'm taking your lead on this because you have written about this, that shouldn't it be better defined that it actually is the U.S. taxes based on circumstance of birth? And yeah. that's how it needs to be defined to, for people to have a better grasp and understanding of the problem. What do you think? I think that, yeah, I mean, that was that was why I wrote the post. I mean, I, you know, both of us have been at this now for a long time, you know, really a long time. And, you know, so I started asking myself, well, you know, in some ways, I think that things, you know, that there's. I think that there's almost been sort of reverting, you know, back to years ago. Uh, you know, there's, a, I think, a lack of interest. But you, know, you talk about citizenship taxation. Uh, yeah, that's a problem, but people don't understand what it is, uh, you know, first of all. Uh, or, they th or they think they understand what it is, and they happen to be incorrect. Yeah. Well, you know, years ago... Um, uh, Jay Carney, uh, President Obama's secretary, you know, came out one day and announced the president is of the view that the circumstances of birth should not determine the outcome of one's life. OK. I mean, yeah. Say what? Correct. OK. Yeah. So this whole citizenship taxation thing, I mean, what is it anyway? Right. What it really is, is the United States saying, you know, hey, you know what? Uh, we're we're going to define our tax residents in terms of the circumstances of their birth. Yeah, kind of like yeah. born in the USA, or uh, you know, you're born to an American parent abroad. That that makes you a tax resident based on the circumstances of your birth. And you know what? We don't give a goddamn rat's ass how your life is unfolded because of the circumstances yeah. of your birth. You're a U.S. tax resident for life. Okay. Now, I, I understand there's a whole issue of the people who naturalize and green cards, but let's keep them out of the conversation for a minute because that's, you know, a decidedly a minority here, right? Right. Okay. Now, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, the OECD, uh, you know, they actually have a chart for definitions of tax residency. 
And every other country in the world, okay, every other country in the world actually defines tax residency, not in circumstances of birth, and not even Eritrea, by the way, before the critics start, what about Eritrea? You know why not Eritrea? Because you don't get Eritrean citizenship by being born in Eritrea, okay? I mean, Good point. you know, it's amazing because the United States is the only country in the world that confers citizenship based on birth in the country and imposes worldwide taxation based on citizenship, right? But back to the OECD. If you look at all the definitions, I mean, maybe they have different definitions to be sure, right? I mean, how can residence be defined in a universal way? But what they all have in common, how every country defines residence is based on the circumstances of your life. So really, the discussion here is not CBT versus RBT. I don't think that either one is understood very easily by anybody including the people who are, you know, some of the most vocal advocates. So maybe the time has come to redefine this. And this was the point of the post that I wrote. Circumstaxation based on circumstances of birth, bad. Versus yeah. taxation based on circumstances of life, well, still bad, but better. Okay, I, no, good, yeah. good. Okay, or reasonable, right? Or yeah. taxation based on circumstances of birth, absolutely idiotic and unreasonable. And taxation based on circumstances of life. Uh, there may be pockets of unfairness, but at least the concept is reasonable. Does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. And it's something that one can grasp one's mind around. I, I think that's yeah. right. I think that anybody can basically understand the unfairness of, you know, you're born in the United States or, or even worse, you know, you're born to a U U.S. citizen parent outside the United States. You've never been to the United States and say what you're, you're subject yeah. to the, these draconian rules. I mean, it's madness. It's madness. All because of your circumstance of birth. That's it. all because of the circumstance of birth. And I think that all that needs to be done is. Obama had it right. That's true. The circumstances of your birth should never, never determine the outcome of your life. And you know what? Even if you're an American citizen, basically Absolutely. the lowest form of life in the world would be the American citizen. Because, because of the U.S. definition of tax residence, a U.S. citizen can never escape the regulatory arm of the United States. Never. Making them probably among the least free people in the world. Right? I mean, you know, for all these freedom-loving Americans out there, you know, thumping your chest, buddy, you are wrong. Okay? You are wrong. I mean, basically, to be born an American today is to be born with one hand tied behind your back. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, try to live in another country. Well, I think that <laughs> as an American, the vast majority of Americans who heard that would not believe it. But no, they wouldn't. That's just because they're completely ignorant, right? I mean, they just live in a bubble where, you know, they're, right. you know, right. But you, you know what, John? They're, they're ignorant. 
some are ignorant in a pejorative sense and some are ignorant in not a pejorative sense. Because if you spent your entire life in the United States and that's where you live, which most Americans do, this doesn't enter their sphere of thinking. So they wouldn't even know about this. So there's an ignorance there. Yeah, I wasn't using the word ignorant in a pejorative sense. I, I right, mean, just, you know, we can use a different word if you like, uninformed, you know, perhaps. Uninformed, yeah, yeah, just, I mean, just for clarity, a, that's all. That's a more natural word, but I certainly did not mean ignorant in a pejorative sense. Although there are some whose ignorance, some. you know, I suppose. Is. Yeah. But anyway, here's the thing, okay? What this discussion illustrates, I think, is what a difficult concept this is to explain. And mm -hmm. when we're living in a world of social media, Twitter, Facebook, you know, what have you, where, you know, anything beyond four or five lines of text is considered to be a major burden to read. <laughs> uh, well, it is. Uh, I mean, yeah. I that, you know, I think that there's got to be, you know, sort of a redefinition of what's going on here. Right. Yeah. Yes. Another thing I would point out, sort of parenthetically, but I don't want to make this a big part of what we're talking about, is the only real meaning, the only real meaning the taxation based on circumstances of birth actually has is that it imposes U.S. taxation on people who live in other countries. That's the only meaning it really has. Right. And people who are tax residents of other countries. Well, yeah. that, that, that's exactly right. So I think what's important to understand here and this is not understood clearly enough, is that the United States is using this def the, the uh, defining tax residency in terms of circumstances of birth to actually enter other countries, you know, like an occupying army, and look around and say, oh, there's a U.S. person here, there's a U.S. person there, get over here, all the U.S. persons stand up, and they say, you know what, uh, excuse me, but these are our tax residents hanging out in your country, and we're going to take them back, right? I mean, do you think that's an, an, do you think that's an accurate view of this? Yeah, that's a pretty accurate view of the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think it is. And, and by taking them back, you know, I mean, what does that mean? It says, you know, these people... These carbon life forms that appear to live in your country and that you call your own tax residents or our tax residents. And because there are tax residents, we are not going to let them do retirement planning in accordance with your tax system because they're our tax residents. Okay. Right. And this, you know, I think is, uh, you know, explains a big part of the problem. And it also explains why, if you look at, American citizens generally, why it's so difficult for them to come together, right? Because the truth is that this affects visibly and damages only those who are living in other countries, trying to make their living in other countries, trying to use the tax systems of other countries to optimize their retirement planning and that. These are the people who it affects. It does right. not affect, uh, you know, these uh, Americans who want to retire to France, for example. Okay, I mean, they get even right. special benefits under the tax treaty, right? Right. Uh, 
you know, and we and we've talked about that before. It does not yeah. you know, those who you know, another made up term, accidental Americans who are not in the US tax system, at least from right. a tax point of view. Although right. it does affect, you know, the whole bank account issue. But this is really what's right. and I much and there's another population that it doesn't affect either, and it's important to note this, is it doesn't affect those short term American expats who are only on assignment for a couple of years and then go back to the United States. What we're speaking of are Americans who live uh, indefinitely or permanently outside the United States, and their financial oh, center of gravity right. the is in their resident country. Yeah, the people whose center of financial gravity is outside the United States, right? Right, That's, right. So if you have a short-term expat... That's a whole different bowl of wax. You know, ...gets transferred to the UK or something in the finance sector for a few years. I mean, the chances are that their financial center of gravity is still the United States, so they're not going to be affected. I mean, they may be have the annoyance of filing it, to tax returns, but they're not disabled, if you will. Right. From, right. From living life because of this. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, redefining how the U.S. practices its tax, what's the word I'm looking for? Tax uh, code, if you will, maybe would be better in getting more Americans overseas involved, getting more Americans overseas willing to uh, contribute to fundraising for better messaging, better public relations, and explaining where the what the problem is. Yes, I, I think I think that that is that that is the case, and I I do think that I've come to see that. Um, you know, I mean, there's clearly a messaging problem, okay? Uh, you know, it's interesting that the term is citizenship taxation when that term is not even in the Internal Revenue Code, right? I mean, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Right. Uh, but, it's just something right. that has just morphed over the years. I, I think, yeah, the basic point is that there has to be a movement away what it's called and a description that focuses on what it is, right? Exactly. So this is defining tax residency, not in terms of where your life is, but what your birth was, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing is that the consequence of that is that the United States, you know, effectively through the tax treaties, right? I mean, tax treaties are a way of, to be brutally honest, and, and this is not just me. I mean, look at anybody who's, analyzing the pillar one, pillar two, you know, these these changes in international tax. I mean, you know, these tax treaties are used effectively to wage war, right, in a certain sense. I mean, against developing countries. Uh, I mean, you know, the, I don't want to go get into this in a big way, but, you know, the whole point of the tax treaties 100 years ago was to be able to extract, you know, resources and profits out of developing countries without really letting them share in the profits. Um, and in this case, the combination of the interaction of, you know, the United States uh, defining tax residency and circumstances of birth, the tax treaties, which include the saving clause that we'll talk about separately, I think, in a second, enforced by FATCA, right, have really allowed the United States, through the combination of these things, to create a system 
where, you know, they, they show up and say, well, you know, uh, we've asked you to identify, you know, those of our tax residents, you know, these U.S. citizens who live in your country, deliver them up, right? That's what the FATCA IGAs do. And, uh, you know, and they're going to pay tax or, or whatever accordingly. Now, you know, some people are delivered up. You know, because they get a FACA letter and they immediately go to an accountant or something who says, oh, my God, yes, you know, you've got to come in. You know, it's all this sort of stuff, right? But but this is the way the thing works. And it's reinforced, interestingly, by, by the saving clause in the treaty, which we can talk about separately. So where my thinking is going, and I know it's, well, it's your thinking as well, and I agree with it, is that the messaging for circumstance of birth versus circumstance of life needs to, to keep it simple for the moment, needs to be a two-channel type of messaging. The messaging needs to be in regards to fighting against this on the U.S. side, but also educating and informing and fighting against this on the other country's side, whether that be France, Germany, Japan, etc., where they need to be fully aware of what this is and how it's harmful in their respective countries. I think that that is exactly right. Um, you know, if we look at the last few weeks, the attempt to raise money uh, to publicize uh, a struggle against citizenship taxation has been very, yeah. very difficult, right? And very disappointing. In fact, shockingly disappointing. Okay, you know how little, how few people are willing to make any, you know, even the smallest, even the smallest expression of support for this, right? Right. Uh, you know, is really quite amazing. But at its core, to decide that you want to attack citizenship taxation is really to pressure the United States, put pressure on the United States to unilaterally change its definition of tax residency. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, you know, that's interesting because, I mean, everybody agrees that, uh, you know, a fundamental principle of sovereignty is that, you know, all countries have the right to determine who are its tax residents. I mean, you know, in the defending the fact a lawsuit in Canada, the Canadian government, you know, has repeatedly said, uh, well, Prime Minister Trudeau, the United States has the sole right to define who are its tax residents, right? Or, you know, I was in Washington in July for that, you know, sat on the meeting with the European delegation who was there over the FACA issue. And, you know, I found it very, very interesting that, uh, you know, they arrived, uh, you know, I think appropriately recognizing that the United States has the sovereign right to define who its tax residents are. And they you know, said, you know, hey, we're not here to change your tax system at all. I mean, we just want to, you know, find a way so that, you know, these U.S. citizens in Europe can, you know, have a bank account, that sort of thing. But you know what? I mean, let's let's just pause for a minute. Uh, one of the problems of starting with a true statement like, you know, every country has the sovereign right to determine who its tax residents are, is that, uh, you know, you start with something that is uh, so uncontroversial that people stop listening. Um, yeah, 
you know, the United States has the right to determine who are its tax residents. However, if the United States has the right to determine who its tax residents are, certainly France or any other country does too. And the United States, now listen to me carefully, yeah. although it has the right to determine its tax residents, does not have the right <clears throat> to approach other countries and say, you know what? Uh, as part of determining who are our tax residents, we have determined that your tax residents are actually our tax residents. Right? I mean, that's where the line has to be drawn here. And that is the position that I think these European uh, and governments of other countries, Canada, what have you, must take. Of course, you have the right to determine who your tax residents are. It's just that... <coughs> right to determine who your tax residents are does not include the right to you know to claim our tax residents as your tax residents does that make sense to you it does so Absolutely. then we you know, extend a little further and this is fascinating because i mean so let's say you know some tax professor would jump into the conversation and say oh john you're such an idiot okay i mean there are cases of dual tax residency all over the world you know, et cetera. Okay. Well, once again, you know, this is an example of, you know, starting off with an uncontroversial true statement, and therefore we don't continue the discussion. That is true, Professor. Yes, there are many instances of multiple tax residency, dual tax residency, triple tax residency, but here's the thing. All of these tax treaties contain provisions in cases of multiple tax residency to say, as a matter of treaty, these people are not gonna be treated as, as tax residents of more than one country. We're gonna use the treaty to allocate residents to one country or another, okay? Right. So for example, let's say somebody's a tax resident of both, uh, say Canada and France, there's a, a mechanism in the treaty to look at the, remember we started with circumstances of birth versus circumstances of life? Yes. There's a mechanism in the treaty to allocate tax residency to one country based on circumstances of life, right? So it starts out, for example, where do you have a permanent home? Then it goes on to center of vital interest, habitual abode. And then interestingly, the least important determinant and this is fascinating, is citizenship. The least important determinant is citizenship. Yeah. The United States, by the way, has already agreed that for the purposes of treaty tiebreak, citizenship is the least important thing. Yet they still define the least important thing for the purposes of the treaty tiebreak citizenship as the dominant thing for their own tax residency. I mean, it's, the hypocrisy is staggering. Staggering, okay? All right. Now, so then you might say, well, well, come on. I mean, you know, so you're telling me, John, that, uh, you know, that these tax treaties contain mechanisms in cases of multiple tax residencies to assign tax residents to one country or another? Well, if that's the case, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. All U.S. tax treaties have something called a saving clause. Okay. Now, the saving clause says okay two things all right and this is very important the first thing it says is 
that if you're not a U.S. citizen, but you're a resident of the United States, for example, a green card holder, mm -hmm. then you can use the treaty tiebreak to allocate tax residents to another country. But it also says in what needs to be understood to be a separate sentence, even though it's not written that way, that U.S. citizens, that the United States retains the right to tax its citizens, no matter what else the treaty says, okay? So in other words, the U.S. tax treaties via the saving clause are very, very specifically and deliberately designed to not allow U.S. citizens to have the same benefits that every other citizenship would have, namely to allocate tax residents to the country they live in and not the United yeah. States. Now, let me just right. pause. Does that make sense? It does. All right. Now, again, somebody jumps and says, oh, John, John, you're an idiot. There are exceptions to the save, you know, to the save. Yes, there are exceptions to the saving clause that mitigate the effects of this. But not a single one of those exceptions includes the treaty tiebreak. Okay? Not a single exception ever includes the treaty tiebreak. So in other words... When a country signs a tax treaty with the United States, they are agreeing to the saving clause, which on the most basic and superficial level, and I don't think they understand this, right, uh, says, well, you know, the treaty doesn't affect the right of the U.S. to tax its citizens. I think in their mind, they imagine these are citizens living in the United States. No. Yeah. It means that it doesn't affect the right of the United States to tax your own tax residents who they deem to be U.S. citizens. Are you with me on that? I am. I'm following you. So they've agreed to this. They've agreed to this. And this is where, you know, you get these very curious statements from governments in other countries that, well, you know, the United States has a sovereign right to tax its citizens. And then what some of them say is, words that imply and sometimes simply state that, oh, and by the way, in our own tax treaties, we have acknowledged the right of the United States to tax its citizens. Now, I'm going to give you two examples of this, okay? One would be uh, in the FATCA Canada lawsuit, um, you know, which we're trying to get leave to appeal, right? But the government of Canada has defended the leave to appeal application on the basis that, pursuant to the saving clause in the Canada-U.S. tax treaty, Canada has already agreed to allow the United States to tax Canadian residents. Mm -hmm. And so there's no misunderstanding. They footnote that, and they footnote exactly to the saving clause in the Canada-U.S. tax treaty, okay? <laughs> this is how this yeah. thing is. No, no mistake about it. I mean, it's right there. So this yeah. is how this is used. And then, you know, uh, 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 Mr. Gentiloni, a couple of years ago in responding to Sophie Indeveld, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these names correctly, but people in this space will know who these people are. Yeah. Uh, you know, said, well, um, I mean, he said a lot of things that were amazing. Okay. But one of the things he said is that uh, you know, uh, the right of the United States to tax its citizens is long established. 
Uh, and he implied in the language that it had already been agreed to by European countries in the saving clause. So where I'm going with this is that I believe that pressure needs to be brought on other countries to, I mean, of course you have to acknowledge the sovereign right of the United States to define who its tax residents are. That's a no brainer. But what you have to do is figure out how to not allow them under these treaties to claim their own tax residents as U.S. tax residents. Okay. Yeah. Let me just pause. Does this make sense to you? It does. It does. And I'm going to give you yeah. three, and there are there are probably more. I mean, this was just my, you know, unable to sleep the other night, so I made up some things they could do. Some people count sheep, I think, about tax treaties. <laughs> All right. Normally, it puts, actually, it did put me to sleep very, very quickly. But before nodding back off to sleep, I wrote something that's in a post here. I asked, how can a U.S. treaty, how U.S. treaty partner countries fight back against the saving clause in the U.S. tax treaties? <laughs> well, I came up with three ways off the top of my head before I, you know, the counting sheep worked or the counting tax treaties worked. Um, and they are as follows. The first thing that countries could do is uh, refuse to agree to a saving clause that denies the right of U.S. citizens to tie break out of the out of out of the treaty. I mean, if a green card holder is a U.S. tax resident, can use the tax treaty to claim non-residency in the United States. Why not a citizen? Well, it's because of the way the saving clause is written. So you you change the way the saving clause is written, okay? Uh, by getting rid of that, the, you know, basically just saying that any U.S., you know, that if you're a U.S. tax resident, whatever the reason, and you're a tax resident of the other country, and your center of vital interest is in the other country, then you use the treaty to tie break to being residents of the other country, right? Right. All right. So that's, you know, that's one thing that can be done. The second would be, um, you know, to simply uh, put in a clause uh just saying, uh, but for further clarification, uh, the U.S. right to tax its citizens, irrespective of the treaty, does not apply uh, if the person is also a tax resident of the treaty part partner country. In other words, okay, we get what you may have been trying to do with this, but you can't apply this to Pete. You can't use this to claim our tax residents as your tax residents anymore, right? So, so that's the second thing you could do. And the third thing you can do, and I've seen this in various treaties, is, is this, that you can simply say that, all right, I hear you talking about U.S. citizens. That's fine. But you know what? For the purposes of the tax treaty, in order for somebody to qualify as a U.S. citizen, they have to live in the United States, okay, and not in our country. Right. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, that's rough around the edges, okay, for sure, and it would need refining. What I'm trying to explain is how this problem can be dealt with internationally. Leave the right of the United States to define tax residency in terms of citizenship intact. Right. In other words, just figure out how to, on the one hand, let the United States to continue its archaic, medieval, and idiotic process of you know def of defining tax residency based on circumstances of birth and not on circumstances of life 
Okay, so you leave that intact, but you simply say, you know what? Let's bring this into the tax treaties a little bit. And we're going to focus on these parts of the treaties to prevent your sovereign right of defining your citizens as your tax residents, to prevent that right that you claim from being used to claim our tax residents as your tax residents. Okay? Right. Does that make sense to you? It does. All right. It does make sense. Now, it seems to me, right, that we have this recent, um, uh, you know, sort of more visible movement to attack citizenship taxation. That is yeah. an attack uh, or attack. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's an initiative directed against United States policymakers. Um, but I think simultaneously, and at least as importantly, an initiative needs to be rolled out, which is designed to focus on the tax policy people in all other countries in the world that have U.S. tax treaties to understand that there's a problem and show them how they can solve this problem, right, you know, through this particular mechanism. Because I think yeah. that, you know, I think the learning curve on this is not just long, but very long, Okay. And it seems to me that to be able to, you know, put together some sort of movement, educational lobby, I mean, I think this is something that probably should come under the auspices of SEAT, right, which has spent a great deal of time, properly so, on, you know, the policy question of the U.S. defining uh, tax residency in terms of circumstances of birth perhaps add to this, and I think this is a good idea, I mean, you and I are both members of C, to uh, rise this second initiative to the same stature, namely, let's attack this through the tax treaties, as, for example, you know, Karen Alpert's fixed the tax treaty group, at least originally was conceived to be. Right. But, you know, I, I, it seems to me that if you're thinking about a way to deal with this problem, I think that it needs to be a two-pronged attack. Right. And I think it's important with the two prong attack, as you just said, that it can get very complicated, that there needs to be key messaging coming out of this that's very clear and simple first not, or done in tandem, meaning that, you know, there's like with anything, you know, because it's basically marketing to these countries. You need to have, let's say, five clear messages on why this is hurting you and your country. You see what I mean? To just yeah, have that. Oh, I, I think clearly so. I mean, there are all kinds hence, of instances. I mean, the US right. Hence why the fundraising aspect can be expanded to not just the one sided US, but also for key messaging for other countries. That Hence the two channel approach. Right. You know, I agree. And, you know, and I obviously leave that and defer, you know, to the marketing people. But it seems to me that. What we've talked about today is conceptually a way to move forward on this in a way where there's a clear organizing principle, a way that- And we, we redefined how the U.S. taxes outside the U.S. That needs to be redefined. Well, you know, that is true. I agree with that. But the, the problem that the rest of the world has and, you know, and we see this always stated, maybe not in this exact language, but always stated is, well, take it up with the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has the right to define who its tax residents are. I mean, this is just a matter of sovereignty. Take it up with the U.S. 
you know, I mean, this is sort of lying through omission in the sense that, of course, that's true. But that doesn't mean the United States has the right to, you know, knock on the doors of other countries, claim the tax residents of those other countries as U.S. tax residents, and then add insult to injury by making them sign a saving clause in the treaty that where essentially, one, the other country agrees to this madness, and two, as per the treaty, there's no opt, there's no, uh, there's no availability for the treaty tiebreak provision that's available to citizens of any other country, right? Right. You expanded on what I was going to say. It's not just take it up with the U.S. You country have signed this tax treaty, so it's your responsibility as well. It's not just take it up with the U.S. Absolutely. I mean, these countries need to understand that by signing these tax treaties with the United States. They are really, you know, I think creating an act of violence against a certain subset of their own citizens and residents. Yeah, violence, like financial violence, you know, something. Yeah, they're inhibiting them from uh, being able to live a normal life. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, they are they are collaborators. They are complicit in this. It is completely wrong completely wrong to say that yeah. you know to allow these countries like france canada or any other right. country to claim that this is a u.s problem it is not a u.s problem they yeah. are complicit they have exacerbated by this by signing these treaties that include the saving clause okay now i would point out so, right that you know if you can get if you can solve this problem the tax residency problem, then the FATCA problem, there's room for the FATCA problem to go away because then FATCA operates more conceptually like the CRS, more, although it still has a lot of other problems. But yeah. it all comes down to, I mean, you know, the original sin manifest in the 21st century is the United States defining tax residency and circumstances of birth when the rest of the world does it in terms of circumstances of life, but these other countries very actively through signing these tax treaties that include this saving clause, they are agreeing to this. They are institutionalizing it and they are every bit as complicit as the United States for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been uh a good podcast and an important podcast that we need to share far and wide in regards to at the very minimum redefining the definition and obviously go from there but at a bare, at a bare minimum, the messaging needs to change i mean do you like do you like yeah. that sort of you know stop taxation based on circumstances of birth yes absolutely it's clearer it's yeah, easier it's, to grasp. I, understand. I think it's, I mean, I think most people right. would be shocked, you know, uh, shocked actually to know that this is what's going on. Right. It's less, it's not nebulous. Like the, just looking at CBT, there's more of a precise message on what it is. And that's going to be key moving forward. It describes it in a way that is descriptive of what it actually is. Right. And for people who don't have all the knowledge about it, it is easier to digest. 
Well, I, I believe that to be the case. I certainly yeah. believe Okay. But what do I know? You know. Well, this has been good, John. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if, if this helps, uh, you know, get people more invested in this, in this cause. I, I think this is going to take time, but I do think it's achievable. Right. And, and this podcast just can't be done in a vacuum. We have to just ensure that we're constantly changing the definition on what it really is as we're moving forward to have it be like a contagion that other people use that definition. Circumstance of birth, circumstance of birth, circumstance of birth. That's going to be important. I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, it yeah. makes sense. To me, but, I, you know, honestly, Keith, this is. You know. A gigantic problem on so many levels, right? I mean, it's one right. you know, talk about taxes and treaties and things like that. But but the real problem and its core is that American citizens are willing to put up with this. Yeah. Well, let's see yeah. what happens when we change the definition. Me. It amazes me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. Well, nothing will happen unless, you know, certain people make it happen. I mean, that right. we have historically. So the real question is, what can be done to build public opposition to this in a focused way, which focuses on both the United States and the treaty partner countries? Right. And that could be a good topic for a second podcast on I this issue. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. The nuts and bolts, the tactics that need to be done. All right, Keith, is this an exciting way to start your day or what? Wonderful. <laughs> but I am excited about changing the definition and moving it forward. I think that's a good thing. Well, today is March 3rd. Mark the day. March 3rd. Yep. 23. Anyway. Um, okay. Good. For today, I, I have no doubt that we'll reconvene at some point on this. We will. Well, thank you. All right, Keith. Have yourself a great day. You too.